Professor Deborah Dash Moore, my professor from Vassar College 40 years ago, intro Ooh. to Jewish history and religion. Thank you for joining me on Wavemaker Conversations. Well, I, I just want to let you know I was a um, uh, uh, in my early 20s at the time. <laughs> yeah, but, but I still trusted you because that still seemed older to me than where, where I was. Uh, you know, I, so I, I wrote you. So the story of how I'm coming to you now is it's, it's Passover time where we're, it's the run up to Passover. I noticed that you were editor in chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization, multi-volume work, very interdisciplinary within the realm. Yes of Jewish studies. And I said, wait a second, Deborah Dashmore, that was my professor at Vassar College 40 years ago. And I wrote you and you said, you remembered me. And I thought, wow, I must've left such an impression 40 years later. What did I say in class? What did I write? And then you broke the news to me about why you remembered me, which is? Which is there weren't a lot of men in Vassar at that time. It had gone co-ed in the early 70s, but it took them a while to figure out how to recruit men because they, they had to go to different sources. And one of the interesting things is that in the 70s, they went to public schools for recruiting men, much more so than for the women. So there was also a little bit of a different class background. They had women coming from private schools a lot because that had what was had been established. But men, they didn't have an entree into the private schools, so they went to public schools, um, which is interesting, right? Uh, well, I, you know what? I did not realize that, and that puts my story into context because I went to a public high school, and I was so thrilled to have gotten into Vassar, which was an amazing experience. Well, listen, so here we are in the run-up to Passover, and you and I spoke briefly just recently, and it was, you know, what is there in this multi-volume Posen library that we could tap into. And you pointed me to this letter in 1866, a Passover letter yeah. from J.A. Joel, a Jewish private in the Union Army during the Civil War. And the volume notes, he was one of roughly seven to 8,000 Jews who fought for the Union cause. Right. And you know, I was really moved by that letter because here they are, on basically the eve of a battle in West Virginia, where their lives were all going to be risked and some of them would lose their lives. And it was days before Passover and they decided they were gonna have a Seder. So tell us about that because on, on many levels, this idea of keeping traditions alive, even in the worst of times, keeping hope alive in the worst of times really resonated with me as I read that. Yes. Yeah, so in the wilds of West Virginia, you're right. They know that the holiday is coming. And um, he writes that they ask permission, right? Because you have to get permission to have a, a Seder. And there are around 20 guys um, who are, are Jewish who, who join together to do this Seder, which is impressive also, right? It's not just him. But there, there are uh, quite a few. And so then they need to get the supplies. <laughs> 
And they end up going um, to uh, Cincinnati. Well, not they, but they request uh, from the sutler, who's a, also a Jew, to go to Cincinnati and get the matzahs. Right? What so is that they, term? A, a sutler, you said? A sutler. So a sutler is, is someone who um, provides uh, food and, and provisions uh, to, the, to the military. So he had, he had wagons and that kind of thing so that he could go in and get it. So he goes to Cincinnati. And um, he packs in not just matzahs for the for them, but also two haggadahs. Right. So they have the text. And for, and for the non-Jews in the audience, the haggadahs are. So the haggadah is the text uh, that is read at the Passover seder. It actually does not have much of what we just read about oppression beforehand, because it emphasizes the actual exodus and the leaving. Right, that occurs. Okay, and it has an order to a meal. So there are certain things that they they needed to do. So in the meal today, you you have something called haroset, which is supposed to be like brick, and you make it usually out of nuts and apples, or sometimes figs and you know it's it's a brick kind of thing, but it's a food. But they didn't have. The charoset. So they said, we got an actual brick, <laughs> which they put on the table. It was a little hard to digest. So they just looked at it and were reminded of the, the, the enslavement and the making of bricks. But they did get alcohol, right? Um, and they got a bitter herb, which was, it turned out, exceedingly bitter. So when they each ate the bitter herb, because the bitterness of, you're supposed to taste the bitterness of slavery through the bitter herb, their, their mouths were on fire. And, and so they forgot the law about drinking the four cups of wine in, in stages, and they just consumed all of it, right? Because they get rid of the fire. It's, it's a very um, funny account in that way. Um, and, and let me ask you, do you have it up there? The yeah, I do. Yeah. And, and so it was really moving to me at the end that this was such a joyous memory and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll post the link and post the letter, you know, in, in the newsletter that accompanies our conversation. But, I, you know, I was wondering if, again, given your sweeping knowledge of the arc of the history of the Jews, you know, are there other examples that you can recall of maybe that we can take inspiration from now, whatever our context, you know, we're living in very difficult times. Uh, they are fraught, to say the least. But to be able to carve out that space for celebration, no matter what, to be able to see the hope, no matter what, this is this is a, a, a theme that comes up a lot in Jewish history and human history, really. Mm -hmm. what, what other stories might that trigger in your mind from your... So there's the cover of volume six. Mm -hmm. And it, you'll notice it has women there, and they are Miriam leading the women in song. This comes from a Haggadah that was illustrated by a Jewish woman named Charlotte von Rothschild in the 19th century. She made it as a gift for her uncle. And it's really this gorgeous visualization that women too are part of the story. Um, and although in the traditional Haggadah that, that you, you read for the Seder service, women are not particularly mentioned at all, she decided to put this illustration in 
that gives a prominence to the women. And I'll hold it up just again. And over here in the background, you can see Moses is pretty tiny. <laughs> Right? He's there. He's there. But this is this is the woman's moment um, in this song of the, of the sea. Yes. This is this is why we need diverse voices in storytelling because there are certain people who have big influence and unfortunately are kept in the background too often. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's really wonderful to have women's voices very much represented as as well as men in this account. Yeah. You've been teaching college students for so long. It's really a couple of generations worth. Yes, uh, definitely. And I asked, you know, I asked you recently when we had our first conversation, what what are you noticing these days about college students? And you said something to me. You said, for many college students, for many 18, 19, 20-year-olds today, the 20th century is a closed book. Tell me about that, because that was concerning to me when I heard it, but it's not too late to change it. It's not too late to open up that book, but tell me about that. Right, I discover for the students that, some of these students, that it's a closed book. What I mean is that um, the Holocaust, the establishment of the state of Israel, the World War II, the civil rights movement, um, the things that are in your consciousness, in my consciousness, they're not. They could have happened for these students 500 years ago, not just 50 or 75 years ago. And the, the fact that they're not in their consciousness means that it's really hard to sort of talk about what's happening right now and connect it to them with, with what was happening before. I think, I think I gave you the example back then of um, 1963 and the um, march on Washington that Martin Luther King Jr. organized for jobs and, and freedom. And uh, that march included Jews um, and uh, organizations as well as individuals. And one of the organizations was an organization called the American Jewish Congress that was headed at that time by a rabbi who had been kicked out of uh, Germany by Hitler in 1938 and come to the United States. His name was Joachim Prinz. And Prinz actually got the slot of speaking just before King. And Prinz gives a, a very short uh, but powerful speech. And he says, you know, we're Jews. We, we had this experience of oppression. And one of the things that I took away from living in Nazi Germany through the 1930s, right? he left in 38, so before the war, is that the worst thing that one can do is to be silent. We cannot, he says to Americans who are listening, become a nation of onlookers, a nation that is silent. And this was a very important, I think, um, point of view to say when we think about Black Lives Matter today, when we think about the, the movements that currently exist, we, we can't just become passive and onlookers, right? Um, that we have to pull that. But that's a that's a, such a distant memory um, for for students today. So it's it's hard to to get them to recognize that there are things happened not that long ago that they should bring into their own consciousness. 
So, so just to tie everything up and come back to Passover, but, but tie it into, you know, we, you sort of stopped in the early 1960s there for a while. We were talking about Martin Luther King Jr. And of course, that, uh, there's that wonderful quote that's often cited from MLK. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And I come back to you again, I, I've used the word sweeping many times because as I remember my intro to Jewish history and religion class from you and the reading list, it spanned thousands of years. And so if anybody has their arms around thousands of years, it's you. Does the arc of the moral universe bend toward justice? And as you look at our situation now, are there, are there areas of history that you dip into and find solace and encouragement in that gives you strength today as you look forward? So I think it's despite the fact that much of Jewish history has many tragic elements to it, expulsions, persecution, genocide, there is within Judaism, its, its religion and culture and civilization, a, uh, an impulse to affirm that the arc of the universe moves towards justice. And uh, Jewish historians, starting with um, a very famous uh, historian named Salo Baron, um, have tended to move away from what he called the lachrymose view of Jewish history, which is to say, seeing Jewish history as just you know one one trial after another after another, which would would not be an arc moving toward justice, and to see instead a kind of resilience and the ways in which things change. And I will go back now to. Uh, feminism and the impact, not just that it had on the United States, but the impact that it had on Judaism. I think when you look at Jewish uh, religious practices and Jewish culture today, you see so much more creativity among women that is accepted broadly. So it's not just you have women rabbis and women cantors, you have women uh, novelists, you have women poets. You know, it's just a, an extraordinary uh, change. And this has changed the character of Jewish religious practice. Uh, many people now, there's a, there's a plate to bring it back to Passover. There's a plate in which you put a variety of objects. I mentioned the charoset, the, the brick, but, and the bitter herbs. Um, and the, there's also, you put matzah, you egg. People now add a cup for Miriam, right? <laughs> and they put, they put water in it because she's dancing by the, the, the Red Sea. But it's a way of bringing women into the, the service and making one conscious of it. Some people put as well an orange to recognize gay and lesbian and uh, trans people who have also been excluded. So I think there is a much greater inclusiveness now. That, and that does give me um, hope and a sense of justice um, and equality. Well, Professor Deborah Dashmore, 
I'm going to work really hard on on the writing of this piece based on this interview. Good. Because I, one day I want you to remember me for my writing and not my gender. <laughs> so I'm going to try. Okay. Okay. By the way, as, a good as, deal. I, yeah. as I write this, so give me the last tip as a professor. You know, I'm going to write this story. This is going to, in some ways, you know, expand our minds as we go into Passover. We're going to have a maybe a deeper understanding or a different way of looking at Passover because of these stories. What do I have to deliver to get an A from you? So I think what you need to do is you need to have an argument, right? You know that. You need to um, have good uh, examples that support your argument. Given what you write in WaveMaker, the way in which it speaks to you personally, I think matters a lot and would matter to your readers also. Uh, so I, I would keep that, those three things in mind. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like I just got office hour, extended office hours from you. Thank you. It was a real pleasure to meet you again as an adult. Thank, thank <laughs> you so you much. Although you were a young adult then. But. Thank you. Listen, this, is, this is such a treat for me. Thank you. And I, I'm so thrilled, not that I got, to, even just that I got to reconnect with you, but I'm really thrilled to have this, this digital library on my desk. I mean, I'm really yeah. going to be using yeah. this a lot. So thank you. And great, great. It's fantastic. Thanks for joining me on Wayfinder Conversations. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. Take care, Michael.